So just to set the context and a little bit of recap, this is now the third of four episodes that uh, the Gospel writers, uh, Mark and then Luke following him, have put together. And they put these four episodes together because they tell us significant things about who Jesus is and about the, the mission of God, the salvation mission of God. So just a little recap. The first, uh, you may remember, was the storm on the lake where the disciples are with Jesus in a boat. They're out on the middle of the Sea of Galilee. The storm blows up and they're terrified. There's nothing that they can do. And then they appeal to Jesus. They wake him up and with a command, Jesus um, calms the storm. And if you, you may know that in the, in the Bible, um, uh, seas and water and oceans are used symbolically to represent chaos and disorder. So at the beginning of Genesis, the Spirit of God hovers over the waters right at the beginning of creation. And then the Spirit of God brings order out of the chaos. Uh, and at the other end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, John has this amazing vision of the new heaven and the new earth. And one of the things that we're told about the new heaven and the new earth is that there was no longer any sea. It doesn't mean that we're not going to go swimming in the new heaven and the new earth because we love swimming. So I'm sure there will be seas in the new heaven. But it's symbolically saying all the chaos and all the disorder has gone. So when Jesus calms the storm on the lake, he's not just calming a storm on a lake. He is God calming every storm and sorting out every disorder. That's the whole point. Then last week we were looking at the the demon-possessed man. Jesus deliberately sails across the Sea of Galilee into Gentile territory. It's a reminder that the mission of God is not just to save the Jews, it is to save the whole world, that they're called to be a light to the Gentiles. Again, it's a situation that is beyond human control. There's nothing that anybody can do about this situation. The man is running around naked in the tombs. They try and chain him up. And every time they chain him up, he breaks the chains. There's nothing that they can do until Jesus comes along. And he speaks into the situation. And suddenly we find this man sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Now we have another episode, this time concerning Uh, This poor lady with this issue of blood. And again, it's a situation beyond human control. That's the thing with all of these stories. No one can do anything about them. There is no help to be found until Jesus turns up. And then help is to be found because Jesus is bigger than the circumstances. He's bigger than the situations. He's bigger than the storm on the lake. He's bigger than the demons. And now he's bigger than illness. Now, in order to to really get our heads around what's going on in this story, we need to think a little bit about um, health and hygiene, uh, because uh, we're, we're, I guess, we're kind of living through a season of life at the moment where health and hygiene is, you know, it's right in front of our faces all the time. We, you know, we all washed our hands and sang happy birthday or said the Lord's Prayer or whatever it was before we came out, and then we've you know, done the hand sanitizing thing coming in and we're all going to have to start wearing, you know, we are incredibly aware of health and hygiene at the moment and not wanting to spread disease. And uh, we are fortunate in that we have all the means really for doing that. We have the anti-back and we have, you know, hot and cold running water and we have soap. But wind the clock back 2,000 years ago or wind the clock back 4,000 years ago, uh, none of those things are really available. You know, if you want water, you've got to go and find it, and the water you find may not be very clean. If you want hot water, you've got to go to the effort of making a fire and heating up. If you want soap, so so health and hygiene is kind of a big, it's a big thing, and it's not as easy four thousand years ago. So if you've ever ploughed your way through the book of Leviticus, 
which I do once a year when I do my read through the Bible in a year. And, um, you know, you start off in January with Genesis and it's all quite exciting because you get the lovely stories. And then by the end of January, beginning of February, when it's, you know, it's dark and rainy and miserable, you're ploughing your way through Leviticus, which, uh, you know, the weather kind of goes with the book. And you're kind of thinking, what on earth is all this about? Well, a lot of it is simply about how do you keep well? How do you stop infection spreading in a community when you're living closely together and actually you don't have antibiotics and you don't have doctors who really know what they're doing and you don't have you know, hot and cold running water? So Leviticus, is a lot of it is concerned with, well, how do you keep a community well? And I'm going to read you a little bit of the... Um, a little bit of Leviticus because it sets the context for this story and for what happens to this poor lady. And um, if you have a, 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 um, a delicate stomach, uh, you may want to block your ears because it's, you know, it's quite graphic stuff. But it, we kind of have to read it because it tells us what's really going on in this story and what this, uh, the lady's problem really is. So I'm going to read from Leviticus 15 and from verse 25. And as I say, it's, um, you know, it's dealing with you know, bodily functions because that's what they had to deal with because you want to stay away. The two things you really want to stay away from in a, you know, in that, in a culture where Jesus is, you want to stay away from dead bodies and you want to stay away from blood. They are not good things in a culture where there's not much health care. So when a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Remember, this lady that we're dealing with in Luke 8 has had, she's been bleeding for 12 years. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as is her bed during her monthly period, and anything she sits on will be unclean. Whoever touches them will be unclean. He must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be unclean till evening. So begin to understand the, the, you know, the problem that this woman really faces. You know, talk about social distancing. You know, we are finding social distancing, you know, you know, you know it's, it's, it goes against everything that we want to do. You know, we want to greet people. We want to shake hands. We want to hug our friends and loved ones. And social distancing goes against that. And, you know, we may be living with that for, you know, who knows, another year till there's a vaccine for coronavirus. This woman has been social distancing for 12 years. No one wants to get near her. You know, she's probably not had a hug in 12 years no one's going to invite her round their house because everything she touches becomes ritually unclean. She can't sit on anything. She can't lie on anything. No one's going to come round her house because they don't want to get unclean. It's not just that she's, you know, she's ill, that she has this constant bleeding. It's more than that. She's cut off from her community. And more than that even, she's cut off from God because she can't, you know, she can't worship As far as her religion is concerned, she can't get near anybody and she can't get near God. That's why she is in such a, you know, such a terrible, terrible plight. Uh, It is a desperate situation. And the gospel writers, you know, they point out no one could heal her. Uh, There's sometimes a translation that includes she had spent all she had on doctors You know, she's literally thrown everything that she can at this problem for 12 years. 
and she's no better. No one can help her, and even her religion doesn't help her. Because all her religion tells her is, well, actually, until you sort this problem out, you can't get anywhere near God. She's in real trouble. Uh, Which is why she comes up behind him. She doesn't want to be known. She, She believes that Jesus can help her, but she doesn't want anybody to know that she's there. And she certainly doesn't want anybody to know that she's touched him. Why? Because she's going to make him unclean. So often the thing that you see in the gospel is either someone approaches Jesus or Jesus approaches someone. And what they think is going to happen is that the problem they have, they're going to communicate to Jesus. It's like the lepers and they think Jesus is going to get what they've got. And it's the reverse that happens. They get what Jesus has got. That's the way the gospel works. But she creeps up behind him in the crowd and she just reaches out and touches the edge of his cloak and she doesn't want to be discovered which is why it's also embarrassing when she is discovered because in touching him she makes him unclean and he's on an urgent journey remember he's on his way to the house of Jairus whose 12 year old daughter is dying and Jesus has got to get there quickly before she dies so for this woman to come up and touch him scuppers that whole plan Because according to the law, Jesus now needs to go home, wash his clothes and wait until evening. That's what the law says must happen. That's why she doesn't want to be discovered. So she creeps up behind him in the crowd. She pushes her way through and she touches the edge of his cloak. And in that instant, she knows that she's healed. Can you imagine You know, imagine what she feels in that moment. She knows, she just knows that she's healed. For 12 years, she's been struggling. For 12 years, she's been cut off from her community. 12 years, she's been cut off from relationship with God. And suddenly, in an instant, she's healed. And that little word immediately tells us everything that we really need to know about the gospel and why the gospel is good news and why the gospel is good news for everybody because the good news of Jesus is that when we reach out to him the effect is immediate which is why the Christian faith is not a religion it's not a religious system because religions are hard work Religions are exhausting. Religious systems work on the basis that you need to work hard. You need to obey the rules. You need to do the right thing. And if you do all of that, then maybe, maybe you will appease your God and you will be acceptable to him or her or them. If you work hard, then you might be in with a chance. He might have mercy on you. Not so with Jesus. I was just I was, I was preparing this. I was thinking about those religious systems where reincarnation is at the heart of what they're about. And you kind of think, oh, reincarnation, well, that's quite, you know, it's quite nice to know that you, you, know, you get another chance. If it doesn't go so well in this life, you get another chance. It's just blooming hard work. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of reincarnations, hoping that In the next life, if you live this one well enough, in the next life you might come a little bit, you know, you might come back a bit further up. And then in the next one, a bit, you kind of think, oh, that's that's exhausting. You just live permanently with the uncertainty. And the thing that's that's really, I find, really troubling about reincarnation 
is that if you are suffering in this life, the reason that you're suffering in this life is because you need to pay a debt that you owe from the previous life where you did something wrong. And you need to pay that debt in order that that in the next life you'll come back kind of further up the, kind of higher up the chain. The difficulty with that is if I come across someone who is suffering, should I help them or not? Well, the answer is not. Because if I interfere with their suffering, I'm interfering with their future lives. So they're suffering because they are paying a debt in a previous life. If I alleviate their suffering, they're not paying off that debt, which means they've still got to pay it off next time around. Which kind of means, well, if I see someone who's suffering in the street, they're there because they deserve to be there. And I shouldn't help them. Because if I, if I help them, I'm interfering with their prospects of a new life further down the... It's, it's, I, f- I just find it terrible. This woman, she reaches out, she touches the edge of the cloak, and immediately she's healed. That's the gospel. I was saying at the beginning of the service, just referring back to the two criminals who are crucified with Jesus... And the criminal who, you know, there's one criminal who mocks Jesus and then the other criminal says, no, I'm, I deserve to be here. I'm a criminal. I've been caught. I deserve to be here. But Jesus, he's innocent. He doesn't deserve to be here. He says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That little episode, it is, it's offensive to religious systems. And it's offensive because the guy is about to die and he's a criminal and he has no time to atone for what he's done wrong. He has no time to make up for his criminal activity. He has no time to kind of set the record straight. But somehow he recognises that Jesus is setting the record straight for him because Jesus doesn't deserve to be on the cross. And immediately... You know, he has minutes to live. And Jesus says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. That's the gospel. Immediately we reach out to Jesus. We get the benefit. We don't spend our lives seeking to earn it. He gives us this incredible gift of righteousness, this incredible gift of eternal life. And then that changes the way we live our lives. That affects everything that we do. That affects our behavior. That affects what we believe. Because we think, wow, if Jesus did that for me, Well, then I need to know more about who this Jesus is. And I need to know more about how Jesus wants me to live my life. But I don't live my life in that way in order to earn a reward. I live my my life in that way out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for me. Never, ever think that Christianity is a religion in in the same way as we think about other religious systems. It's not. Um, I love it when people come up to me and discover what I do and, uh, and, then they, and the first thing they say is, oh, I'm not religious. And I say, good, neither am I. And then I explain why. And let's not say that, you know, there aren't aspects. And, and you can, the problem is you can make Christianity a religion. You can make it work like that, which is why a lot of people who grew up with that understanding of Christianity have turned their backs on it because it was hard work. No, Jesus says, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. The effect is immediate. That's the gospel. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Peter thinks he's gone mad. 
Because he's in this crowd and he's being jostled along. And Peter's like, duh, everyone, everyone's touching you. What are you, what are you going on about? He says, no, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. I love this aspect of the story because here's Jesus. He's on this urgent journey. He's trying to get to Jairus' house before Jairus' daughter dies. So this is a crowd in a hurry because Jesus is on the mission and the crowd, they want to see what Jesus is going to do when he gets to Jairus' house. So he's kind of being jostled along by this crowd. It's, you know, it's an urgent mission. They're, you know, they're moving swiftly and Jesus stops the whole crowd. He stops the whole crowd because he wants to find this one woman. And it's an amazing thing. And it tells us, again, something about the gospel and something about the way in which God views us and the way in which God loves us. Because God will stop an entire crowd in order to give his attention to one person. Amazing. How often do we feel insignificant? How often do we feel unloved? How often do we feel that God has, you know, God couldn't possibly be concerned with someone like me? You know, the woman has gone up to Jesus in the crowd and what she's hoping is she can just touch the hem of his robe, run away and she'll have her healing. That's what God is not about that. God is not about kind of handing out sweeties. He's about relationships. Jesus, you know, he knows power, but that's, that's not what he's about. He knows the woman's been healed, but he wants more than that for her. It's like that lovely, um, I was just reminded of, of Psalm 8, that lovely psalm where the, uh, the psalmist is looking up to the skies and is looking at all the stars and is just in wonder at the, um, the enormity of God's creation. And he says, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man? That you care for him. But that's the beauty of the gospel, that God does care. Jesus says, every hair on your head is numbered. Jesus says, not a bird falls to the ground without your father, without God knowing about it. That's how important we are. So Jesus stops a whole crowd of people in order to give his attention to this one woman, because God loves her and it's not just that she needs physical healing there is a there's a bigger restoration that needs to take place at verse 47 the woman seeing that she could not go unnoticed came trembling and fell at his feet and she comes trembling because she thinks she's made him unclean and you know she's already despised enough by the people in the crowd because no one wants to go near her because of her uncleanness and now she's been caught She's been caught and it's like, oh no, this is, you know, it was going so well. I know I've been healed, but now I've, I've got to face the shame of having made Jesus unclean. That's what she's kind of expecting. And in the, in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him. It would be, lo- be so lovely to have, you know, to know what she actually said and the hope that she came with just knowing that you know she'd spent 12 years in this desperate situation and she believed that in Jesus there was a solution what a wonderful reminder to us that no matter what situations we may find ourselves find ourselves in sometimes no matter how intractable they may seem no matter how hopeless they may seem 
if we're willing to push our way through the crowd and find Jesus, there's a solution. She explains why she came, what she hoped for, and she says, she says, I know, I know I've been healed. And then Jesus says this most wonderful, wonderful thing. He says, daughter, daughter, what a, what a, what a lovely thing to say to her. Daughter, why does Jesus say that to her? Why does he address her as daughter? Because she's not his daughter. Yeah, he calls her daughter. Because this is about restoration. This is about relationship. This is about restoring relationships with her community. But beyond that, it's fundamentally about restoring her relationship with God. About saying to her, you can come home to your father. You can come home to God who is your heavenly father. You can be his daughter, because that in the end is what the gospel is all about. It's about coming home to God as his sons and his daughters and about hearing him say to us, son, daughter, your faith has healed you. How do we find eternal life? How do we find forgiveness? Not by earning it, but by coming in faith to Jesus, reaching out to him, And then in that moment, as we surrender our lives to him, he says to us, daughter, son, your faith has healed you. Remember the disciples in the boat, Jesus says to them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? To the woman, he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Again, you think about the, you know, the... um, the guy with all the demons in the previous episode. Before Jesus arrives, his, his life is ruined. His life is in utter chaos. Jesus arrives, speaks into the situation, and then he's sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. This poor woman, before Jesus arrives, her life is in chaos. And there's nothing anybody can do to help her. Her life has been ruined by this bleeding. Jesus arrives, speaks into the situation, doesn't even speak into the situation, he just has to be present. Everything is transformed. That's the gospel. And we access it simply by faith. So what is it this morning that we need to reach out to Jesus for? All of these situations are situations beyond human control. There may be situations in our lives today where we are thinking, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm going to get through this situation. We live in a world struggling to know what to do with coronavirus. What is it that we need to call out to Jesus, what is it we need to press through the crowd in order to touch the edge of his cloak? Let's, um, we're just going to take some time to pray. And uh, we'll just begin with just a few few moments of quiet. Uh, A few moments in which for us to reach out to Jesus. With a situation maybe in our own lives or in the life of a loved one. A situation where we know there's nothing we can do about it. But these episodes remind us that when we turn to Jesus, there is hope and there is a solution.
So let's take a few moments and just in the quietness of our hearts, reach out to Jesus.